Thank you. As always, it's very good to very good to be here. I love coming to California, uh, and it's been a nice uh, part of my visit to to come and spend some time with this group and this sangha. So. Uh, I've been actually doing a training program with Ajahn Amaro up at Abayagiri. Some of you may know him. And that involves coming here twice a year to do that. And the, uh, the, uh, the, the good and bad news is that it's almost over. <laughs> so, you know, nice to have it come to closure, but that means I probably won't be coming out so often. You know, unless I figure out some other excuse. <laughs> that would be great. Well, I, I understand that you've been um, studying uh, the Four Noble Truths on the Thursday night uh, class and, and the Thursday night gathering. And uh, so, you know, usually when I come and I, I want to offer some thoughts, I'd like to get a little sense of what you've been studying and what might be useful to you. Um, so um, I've kind of geared some thoughts around that, um, looking at this whole issue of, of craving or sense desire, which is, as you know, the... the the second noble truth, the cause of suffering. And um, it's and trying to unravel that, trying to unpack that and get a sense of what's going on with that. So I want to look at it in relationship to a couple of things that can be very helpful as we see ourselves behave in this way and, and try to understand it. Um, and that one is its relationship with the, the sensory realm, you know, the, the, the experience of uh, sights and sounds and scents and thoughts and all these things that we love and, and want to have, you know. Uh, and then also um, how it gets set up in the mind through this, uh, what Buddha called the, the wrong view of self, the incorrect uh, view of self, a sense of me and my world, and uh, what that does, that, that seeing things through that kind of a distortion. Um, so I'll get to that in, in a minute, but I, I want to start with this image that um, actually is a very emotional image for me, something that um, uh, probably will evoke some of the same kind of response in you. And, and that is this, this um, image of the, the Buddha um, as we understand it through um, the, the um, suttas, that he had this profound experience of feeling the pain and suffering of uh, people throughout all time, you know, uh, consider that um, if, if his uh, uh, what he has told us is correct, he had this capacity which we call the all-seeing eye, so that he could see into the past, he could see into the future, he could see into the minds of people in the present. And this capacity, as you might imagine, could be a real curse, you know. And, and particularly when he sat down um, and... Uh, sort of perused um, all of the people of all times, past, present, and future, and saw in them a tremendous experience of suffering and difficulty. You can imagine the pain that he felt. Um, And add to that the fact that he had a tremendously well-developed capacity for compassion. So uh, you can get a small sense of what it was that must have driven his quest to understand, you know, he, he raised this question in his mind, why do we suffer so much? Why do we suffer? And um, with that question in mind, began this quest for understanding himself. And, you know, if we believe his own account, then he, he said that he, he uh, had this question in mind on the night of his enlightenment, and that on that night, 
he was no different than you and I, that he began his search that night or his questioning um, really with the same state of mind, not being able to see any more clearly than you and I. Certainly he had a great capacity for virtue, far greater than ours. Um, but, you know, if we look at his own description of the extent of his wisdom, he said he didn't understand, you know. And yet he sat down that night with the, the fruits of all of his past efforts uh, coming to uh, fruition. And as, we, as the story goes, um, you know, as dawn uh, arose, um, he, he was a very different person. He came to understand what it was that was the cause of all of our difficulty. And in, uh, he, he, he posed this question in the night before, and his answer came in the form of craving, tanha. He said, this is the root, this is the reason why we have such difficulty. We don't um, understand this experience, and we need to understand it and overcome it. There's this wonderful um, quote from the Itivutaka, which is one of the books in the Pali Canon, which I love. It's, he says, uh, Bhikkhus, he's talking to the monks at the time, I do not perceive any single feather, fetter other than the fetter of craving by which beings are so tied and for so long run and wander in samsara, this constant cycle of birth and rebirth and, and existence that is fraught with difficulty. It is indeed through the fetter of craving that beings are so tied and for so long run and wander in samsara. And then he says this verse. A person companioned by craving wanders on this long journey. He cannot go beyond samsara in this state of being or another. Now having understood the danger thus, that craving is the origin of suffering, then a person wanders mindfully, free from craving, without grasping. So you, you get a sense of the enormity of this issue. Um, so important is it that in his teaching, his, the very, very first teaching that he gave, which you've been, uh, some of you know have been studying, the uh, teaching of the Four Noble Truths, he um, defined the cause of suffering as the craving. And the language here is really interesting. He says, the craving that makes for further becoming accompanied by passion and delight, relishing now here and now there. You know, you can feel this movement in the mind and heart, some of this and some of that. Um, Craving for sense pleasures, craving for becoming, and craving for non-becoming, which is a, a, a wish to be born into experience and a wish not to be born into experience. You sort of see the roots there of greed and hatred, you know, the, the wanting and the not wanting. So I love this this language, relishing now here and now there. You know, you can just feel this unsettled, restless agitation in the heart, this longing in the heart. It's, it's kind of, I feel it like it's, it's this incessant itch, you know. Everything, every moment of existence as it is, isn't good enough. There's something else. There's this constant longing and reaching for something outside of it. So, you know, just contemplating this, any hope that we might have of freeing ourselves um, from suffering is found in, in getting some sense of understanding and overcoming this fetter, as he called it, this fetter, this itch for uh, this craving for sense pleasure, for becoming and for non-becoming. 
So this is, I'd like to look at this a little bit. And first, just to put aside, a lot, of, a lot of people always ask when we talk about desire and craving, like, isn't there desire or craving that's good, you know? And it's true. It's like uh, in the Pali language, um, there's like enough, there's so many words for desire. It's kind of like the Eskimos, you know, snow. You know, there's not one word for snow. There's so many different nuances of it that uh, there are many, many words for it. And similarly, in the Pali, there's this whole continuum where um, the, the word desire, which has many, the, many the, what gets translated as desire, is actually many, many different words and has many nuances. So some of, the, some of this isn't a problem. You know, particularly you have this um, experience of, um, you know, when, when something that we want is also things that we need in order to survive you know, the basic biological needs of the, of the organism. You know, we have to take care of ourselves. There's things that we need to do. So, you know, at this biological level, you have a built-in system that um, really makes survival possible. So you have these little pangs that there's, there's hunger in the gut, and, and uh, we, we know, take that as a signal to feed ourselves. You know, there's pressure in the bladder. It's time to relieve ourselves. You know, you feel, feel really tired, it's time to, to go and rest. And, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the arising up that we might refer to as desire in response to these kinds of situations, this is really following like an instinctive urge. It, it, there's, there's not a problem here. And, you know, taking care of ourselves at this level is, is actually very much in keeping with the Buddhist teachings. It's a very, very appropriate response to the physical uh, form. You know, he said that the human birth is a very fortunate one. It's very rare. And we should contemplate that and take that into consideration in the way that we're relating to the body. You know, and if you hold that, just, you know, consider that. It's like, wow, well, then you you, can kind of cut through a lot of craving, a lot of mental gymnastics that go on around the body. Um, Just take us to the very level of, well, you know, I need to... I need to take good care so that I can continue to practice, so that I can use this life well. You know, it gets it gets muddied when um, we let the mind get in on the act. You know, because <laughs> then it starts to tell us things to eat that we shouldn't be eating, or things to do that maybe aren't so good for the body. You know, but just the the, the language of the body and the experience of the body and its desires, its needs are very simple. They're very basic. It's like a a very um, you know, uh, um, uh, very simple by uh, uh, nominal language. You know, to do this, do that, do this, do that. This is what it needs. And then he said that the desire that arises in relation to spiritual practice is also very good. You know, it's not to be not to be avoided. You know, the fact that we're here, the fact that we have this interest, and we come and follow that interest. You know, that's a desire, isn't it? It's like, well, I want to go and, and sit tonight and contemplate the Dhamma and be with people of like mind, you know. That's really, really helpful and, very, and, and to be encouraged, you know. He actually encouraged us uh, following through on that. So that generally it's, it's really a good desire. But it gets to be troublesome when the desire or the craving is, is born out of this itch, you know. This, this, this sense of hunger for some kind of gratification or to be born into things or to get away from things. So freeing ourselves can, uh, of that can be made a lot easier by just coming to understand these two things. 
Uh, one is the nature of the sense realm, the nature of the, the world of the senses, and um, the relationship between craving and self-view, what that sets up. So let's look at this, uh, the nature of the sense realm first. Um, you know, you just consider what is possible to experience through the senses. You know, it's like, wow, <laughs> this place is great. You know, you get this, you get this experience of being a human being and, and having these eyes and these ears and tongue, you know, it can taste so many wonderful th- flavors, you know, and so many beautiful sights to see, so many wonderful scents, wonderful smells, and, and just the experience of, of um, creative thought and, you know, the capacity to contemplate, the capacity to have great conversations and and good company, you know. It's like, just, it's it's useful to to contemplate the the awe and wonder of this whole realm. It's just, it's beautiful, you know. You get the sense, ah, I love it here, you know. Let me have some more. And uh, it's true. And I think one of the things that gets confused, it's almost as if the people think the Buddhist teachings are saying, don't know that and don't enjoy that. But it's not even remotely saying that, you know. It's just, yeah, that's the way it is. Isn't it great, you know? Isn't it wonderful being a human being? So we can know that and we can uh, enter sensory experience and delight in it. It's not a problem in and of itself. But what happens is that we get tangled up in the the pleasure side of it. And because of that, miss the the full reality of what actually exists, which is that there's a downside. And, you know, if we're going to open to the sense realm, then we've got to open to both, both uh, aspects of it. So this downside is that it doesn't last. You know, I don't care how good it is. How wonderful it is. It's uh, how beautiful the pleasure. It doesn't last. Partly because we just can't keep attending to it. You know, it's that the attention doesn't just keep slipping off of it. But partly because the nature of this realm is to be impermanent. It's to, to, to be, um, uh, temporary. It's like, you, and you can, you can see this so much, so much, particularly with food or lots of, lots of different examples. But, um, you know, a friend and I like to do this with, um, ice cream and we'll take, we'll, we have these ice cream meditations and we learn a whole lot of different things from it, you know. Uh, one of them is just put, put delicious food on your tongue and see how long the pleasure is there. You know, just notice how long it's there. And it's been amazing because uh, even many, many times while the food is still in your mouth and still making contact with the taste buds, you're, you're not only not tasting it anymore, there's no, you're not only not experiencing pleasure, you're not even tasting it anymore. You know, the mind, the attention has already gone to something else or the, 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 the experience of these sensory delights is like a wave, you know, it's like, you know, you get this nice hit, and then it's gone. You know, so it's like, well, the heart has to open and acknowledge and receive all of that. That's the, that's the nature of it. And uh, it's, it's not all bad news. I'll get to that in a minute. And another thing to consider is that we can't control it. You know, you can't, it's like, you can set everything up to make pleasure happen, to make good things happen and to avoid unpleasant things. 
But it, it doesn't go that way, does it? <laughs> it's like, you, you know, you can, we think we can control these things. But it's, it's, uh, occasionally it can feel that way. But it, it, that's even just a slight delusion. The actual reality is that pleasure happens when it's going to happen. And it doesn't happen when it's not going to happen. It's kind of outside of our control. You know, so I'm sure you've all had experiences where you, you go to great extremes to set things up and it doesn't happen, you know. It's like, <laughs> I was thinking of a friend of mine who was telling me about this trip that she planned with her son, you know. He got this great idea to um, do this kayaking trip in the Arctic Circle. And, you know, he was getting older and she knew he'd be married soon. And she thought, well, this will, this will be great, a great bonding experience with my son, you know. We'll go away for these 10 days and, and kayak in the Arctic Circle. So she went to great expense, you know, lots of planning, months of planning. And not, you know, not to mention, I mean, the, the cost of it was like $10,000, you know, for the two of them to go. And so they got there and on the very first day, he got a little bug up his butt, you know, <laughs> and he just got irritated with her, and he wouldn't talk to her, you know, the whole the whole time. And it was like this, you know, one of those things where I'm sure you've had this experience where somebody just gets uh, off and they can't get back on, you know. <laughs> and it was like no matter what she did or what she said to try to get him to to snap out of it, he wouldn't snap out of it. So there, she says, so there I am in the Arctic Circle, you know, in this ridiculous suit that you have to keep on if you want to stay warm. You have to walk 100, 200 yards away from the camp if you want any privacy just to pee, you know, because you've got to pull this little flap down and, and there's no, nothing to hide you. It's just all ice. It's just white as far as the eye can see, you know. And she says, so there I am out there in this wonderful bonding experience with my son, you know. It was like, you know, a, a 10 day trip that was about nine and a half days too long <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was like all this effort to make this wonderful thing happen and it doesn't happen you know can you relate you know it's we all know we all know this kind of experience or or the times where they bring this you know fabulous dessert cart to the table after the meal and you, you know one of those one of those and you get it and you're willing to risk all of the calories you know and and it doesn't taste nearly as good as it looks, you know. Or, you know, or you got it before, and and uh, it was good then, but it's not good now, you know. That kind of experience. It's, you know, it can it can be awful, you know. But the the thing that the the subtlety of this teaching, let it let it not escape us. You know what he's saying basically is that, you know, get it. This is the nature of this realm. You know, so yeah, it's not that you don't plan nice things, and it's not that you don't try to enjoy um, our experience, but that one isn't so invested in it that this craving relationship uh, is set up. You know, just know that pain happens, pleasure happens, they happen, and it's sort of like you sit back and relax and receive the arising and passing of things at this level. And that that comes through understanding the nature of the sense realm. So, as meditators, what we're part of what we're trying to do with the meditation practice is to see into the sense realm, to take note, to look at our experience. You know, the meditation isn't all just what we're doing on the cushion. Look at our experience throughout the course of the day, and and see what it's like. See uh, what the actual experience of the sense realm is, you know, and then what we come to, what we'll see for ourselves is that, yes, it's wonderful and it's fleeting. 
you know, it's it's impermanent. It's a temporary condition, um, and it's not all there is. There's a lot of pain as well. So we open to the pain of life as well. That's a hugely responsive, receptive posture towards being alive. You know, all of it is included. It's not, you know, part of part of our experience is not being put outside of life. You know, only the good stuff. That's the only stuff I want to see. You know. So our, our task is to just find a way to come to these kinds of realizations through the observing, and to make peace with the fact that this is the way it is. There's nothing. There's nothing to be done about it. You know. And actually, that can sound depressing, but the actual experience of getting that is like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, I get it. You know, can you feel the peace? Can you feel the release? All of the the wanting it to be some way other than the way that it is gets released in that realization. Oh, okay. Then, then everything that occurs in our lives we can be present for. Nothing's outside. You get this experience where, you know, really two things happen. You stop this clinging. Stop this sense of wanting things to be some way other than the way that they are. So this whole layer of our suffering is gone. There's still the pain and difficulty of life, but we aren't suffering around it in the same way. There's not the pushing it away or the wanting it not, not to be that way. And, and the, the other side of it, which I love, you know, experience as a fruit of practice, is that you really begin to appreciate the, uh, the pleasure, pleasure side of it, the pleasant side of it all, a lot more. Because one isn't longing for it to last in the midst of it. It doesn't, you know, if you know that it doesn't last, then there's just, oh, isn't this beautiful? You know, isn't this great? And the heart just opens and, and, and it is what it is. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful sunset. It's a beautiful sunrise. You know, it's a delicious flavor. It's a wonderful creative thought. And that's it. It's not more or less than that. Tremendous peace. Tremendous peace in that kind of experience. So if there's any kind of longing in the heart or clinging in the heart, there can't be any appreciation. You know, one of the things my teacher said, which really stayed with me, desire can't appreciate anything. It doesn't appreciate anything. It's already itching for the next thing or trying to hold on to the thing that, in fact, it's already experiencing. But it's missing it because it's wanting more. That's how quick this uh, way of relating will distort and confuse our experience. So it's as if the Buddha wants us to be free of pain, um, the pain that comes with longing for sense pleasures. And and in that, we're actually free to appreciate um, just this subtle movement in our life between pleasure and pain. That's the way it is. It's, it's just this constant movement. You know, I started to experience a number of years ago um, from really from uh, as a fruit of practice, just noticing that life is like it's this constant parade of moments that are like you know this contracted moment where you get jabbed and something hurts or something is unpleasant, and then it'll be followed by uh, you know kind of an expanded open-hearted moment where things feel good and light and fluffy you know and then it's and then it's uh, <laughs> uh, you know you start to when you tune into your experience at the feeling level 
you get a sense of what, what he's driving at with this um, second foundation of mindfulness, to be aware of our experience at the feeling level. You know, it's just like, it's almost like this whole body is an, is an organism, and the mind as well. Is a, is a, it's a breathing, com, uh, pulsing, uh, contracting and expanding organism, you know. And that's the way it is. That's our experience from one moment to the next. So we can see this through meditation, and, and our task is just to really keep trying to see it for ourselves. And, um, and this is really what the, uh, the, the two aspects of meditation, the samadhi, the sense of ease and being settled, relaxed in the reality of experience, right? That's what that's bringing to us, that we're training the mind to do that, and then to see what's happening. That's the vipassana, the insight, the, the mindfulness looking and see what's happening. So there's this sense of craving and and trying to understand the way that the sensory world operates so that we can diminish the pull or the force of craving in our lives. Just, you know, to contemplate that, feel that, get a sense of it. So now there's this other angle. which I find very, very helpful um, to, to contemplate, to help diminish the, this impulse of craving. And that's to see the relationship between craving and what Buddha called self-view, this view of ourselves, like this constant relating to what we experience through this filter of the self. So it's not that hard to see. I think a lot of people put, uh, think that this, you know, non-existence of self or self-view, as he called it, is a very weird teaching and something that I can't possibly understand. But it's it's right here. You know, one way to see it um, is to look at this um, relationship here. Um, it's not that hard to see, and seeing it can be tremendously liberating. So just to get a sense of it, start with the experience of our lives. You know, where we have this, we have this experience of physicality, where we we come in contact with the world um, through the body. You know, through sights and sounds and smells and scents and sensations. So there's that level, there's that whole level of our experience, and then there's feeling. The, you know, if you want to consider it, it, its base maybe is in the heart. You know, this capacity to contract and expand, the experience of pleasure and pain. But that's part of our experience as well, isn't it? This is what he's pointing us to. And then there's the, there's the subtle and coarse levels of thought in the mind. You know, very refined levels of thought, some very coarse states. Just, you know, plans and ideas and concepts and the kinds of things you see when you're sitting on the cushion, you know. It's just like all the thinking, the chattering that's going on in the mind. This is what the mind does. So it's to, to start with the realization that this is the way it is with the body and mind. Just to notice the way that they operate, how they are. That's, that's how the body and mind operate. So the, the direct experience at that level, you know, if we could just be embodied, be an embodied mind and receive experience at that level, then uh, that would be all there was. There wouldn't, wouldn't be a problem. I mean, the Buddha said over and over again in, in many different um, suttas that um, the, the uh, source of sense craving is in the mind, 
It's not in the objects. So it's not that the experiences that we have. It's actually in what we do when we have those experiences. If we could just live our lives at the level of a lot more direct experience, a lot of our problems would be relieved. But we, we don't. So um, in this response, he said, tune into this response. What, what happens is that um, it, it's as if in each moment we, that we experience the body and mind, it's received through a filter. It's received through this filter. It's like a, a self-referent filter. You know, and, and so that, that experience becomes, it, it's wild. It passes through this doorway and we begin to relate to it, to begin to respond to it from a, a perception, if you will, of me and it. So like it might be a pain in the knee or something and it becomes, it's no longer just the experience of sense, sensing. It's, it becomes me and my pain, that, that kind of thing. If you can get this subtle movement that one can observe. You know, this is a lot of what we're looking at through the meditation practice. Just noticing this this view of self, this filter that our experience gets passed through, creates a, rela- a relationship with it that is me and other than me, me and it. I mean, we'll even do it with our meditation practice, me and my meditation, you know, becomes an object. There's this, you set up this subject-object relationship with, with things. You know, there's me, uh, I'm the one having the experience, and there's it, the experience. You know, it's very subtle, but it's it's a ama- it's a trip to watch. It's amazing how the the mind keeps doing that. So in the moment, there's just the totality of our experience is sensation, feeling, and thought. That's it. There's just sensation, feeling, and thought from one moment to the next. But it's as if that moment of contact gets picked up and related to from this vantage point of me and it. it becomes this uh, really weird, except you get this weird relationship with stuff. So there's me and what I'm experiencing. Can you feel that? It's, 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 it's what it's actually happening. It's like no longer is there just seeing. It becomes me and what I see. No longer is there just feeling. It becomes me and what I feel. No longer is there just thinking. It becomes me and what I'm thinking. And if you can feel that, what just just get a sense of what that does in the moment. It's almost as if that, by passing through that filter and relating to our experience, we've actually just pulled ourselves out of experience. We've actually just removed ourselves from it. And then now it's me and it. I'm no longer. There's no longer the direct experience. You know, I'm, I'm relating to it from this uh, distant uh, position, this distant vantage point. So it's actually distancing us from what's, what's happening. It, it, it's not the experience, but we, we, we take it to be more real. And this is the shift that takes place with the, what Buddha called the wrong view of self. It's like that world that's relating to what just happened takes dominance. That becomes our world, and that becomes the, the 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 world that we're relating to and through. It's very weird. It has a very weird effect when you begin to see this. Can you, you see what I'm saying? You know, once you begin to notice it in your own experience, it, you go, "Wow, that is wild! How that happens." You know, it, it gives us the impression of being separated from what it is that we're we're experiencing. 
And here you can see the relationship with craving because now what we're actually experiencing becomes something that we want or something that we have to get rid of. It's like we're actually experiencing it. But in that little shift, now it's me and it. And because of that setup, then I have to do something about it. It's wild. So just consider a few examples where you might see this more precisely. Let's say you're feeling something unpleasant and then it gets picked up and and you relate to it from this vantage point of me and it. So now it's something that I, I hate and I have to get rid of. But we're actually already experiencing it. And it's actually already okay. <laughs> but the mind picks it up and it becomes something that, ah, you know, I can't, I can't stand this. I was, I was talking to a guy last week in a retreat who was having a lot of pain in the body during the retreat. And he was saying, he's, he's sitting there hour after hour on the cushion going, I can't bear this. You know, inside his head, he's like screaming. This is what he's telling me. He said, I can't bear this. This is intolerable. I'm going to die in here. You know, this is how he's, how he's relating to it. And then as we broke it apart, you know, this, this I can't bear it is actually, just look at that. It's actually just the voice of the pain that we're in. If you, if the pain could talk, what would it say? It would say, I can't bear this, you know. Um, but it's a distortion. It's just the voice, if you can hold it, it's just the voice of the experience, the voice of the pain. It's an unpleasant experience, you know. But there isn't any, I can't bear it. You know, if, if you scratch that, just break that apart a little bit, it, you already are bearing it. You, you haven't blacked out. You're not dead, you know. <laughs> the, 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 the pain... Is, it's not to say we don't have compassion for it. In fact, if we get this, then there'll be tremendous compassion for the experience of dis-ease. This is the way it is. Sometimes we have these kinds of experiences, you know. And so uh, it's like recognize that it's, it's an arisen phenomenon and it's something that you are experiencing. And you can inhale and breathe that in and not only can you bear it, you are bearing it. And the more that we understand the impermanent nature of these things, the easier those kinds of moments are to take. It's like it's not going to last forever. It's just, in fact, if you really penetrate the experience, it's actually not very solid. It's like, you know, it's almost like a pulsing experience. It's, there's actually moments in it where you, it's not very strong. So if, if you can see how this craving gets set up, you know, it gets set up from this sense of me and it. Or just look at another quick example on the other side where you might be feeling something delightful, something very pleasant and wonderful, and then it gets picked up and related to from this vantage point of me and it. And then it becomes something that, oh, I like it and I want to experience it, you know. <laughs> but we already are experiencing it. But, you know, you can watch this, like, particularly with delicious foods or something like this, where um, it's like, oh, this is so great. We've got to come here and eat all the time, you know. Or we've got, let's make this again next week. And interesting, fascinating to watch because it's like, it's just the pleasure of this moment. And because it's me and it and I like it, then I've got to get it. But I've already got it. 
<laughs> I mean, it's fascinating. You know, so it just settled down in the actual experience of the pleasure. And it's just like you breathe it in. Oh, yeah, ain't life great? Isn't it great when it feels like this? And then you exhale, and, it, and it's gone. And it's okay. It's just a, a beautiful moment. And they come and they go. But to pick it up in this way so as to put ourselves outside of it so that it becomes something that we have to get. I mean, it's crazy. It's totally crazy. But this is what we're actually doing all the time. And this distortion of self-view, you can see how, this, how it's very much related to craving, to the wanting things that uh, we think we don't have. <laughs> so looking at this in relation to the second noble truth, the cause of suffering. You know, there's this distorted view and we've put ourselves outside of experience, relate to it from that vantage point, and it becomes something to want or to get rid of. And that state is what Buddha is describing as suffering. That's the state of suffering. It's all being born out of this not understanding the nature of the sense realm and not understanding how this sense of self becomes a filter through which we're receiving and um, expressing experience. So as it is, it's just the body and the mind doing what they do. The body senses. It's like a conduit for sensory experience. The body and mind come into contact with pleasant and unpleasant things. Um, The mind experiences a whole range of mental states. And all of these conditions, um, physical and mental, uh, arise and pass away. If we're trying to make it be different than that, we're suffering. We can't control the flow and the movement of that. And the more we understand the reality of, of those simple truths, anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, suffering and not self, then the, the freer that we are of this uh, craving in the heart, this longing for other that the Buddha describes and defines as our suffering. So the effort is to, to contemplate this, look at sensory experience in our lives, look at this distorted view of self and how, um, it relate, how we relate incorrectly to experience as a result of it. So those are some thoughts I have for you tonight. I hope they're helpful in keeping with um, what you've been studying and what you're looking at in your practice. And, uh, we have a few minutes if, you, if anybody has some questions or comments or, about this. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's what the, the, the meditation practice is, is about. Um, you know, just consider the two aspects of meditation. We're, we're endeavoring to establish a sense of ease and tranquility. That's the samadhi, right? 
And the vipassana or, or mindfulness is this sense of looking at things and trying to discern for ourselves just what the reality of things is, you know. So, um, I mean, the whole endeavor of meditation is to get us settled in the present and to see the way it is and to not flicker, <laughs> you know, to not uh, go to, uh, to not scramble away and to not go towards particularly, but just to accept and allow things that as they are. And it's not that you don't do something about life experiences, but what what will get tempered is the quality of heart that you'll bring to it, you know. So yeah, definitely. I think, um, in fact, uh, we were looking last week at this course I was teaching at different stages of enlightenment and the 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 state, you know, the the, the final, the experience of being in, of, of our hauntship, our haunthood, uh, ultimate liberation, is one that's described as being fully present. It's like, wow, <laughs> you know, I mean, that boggles my mind. <laughs> Can't imagine what that experience is like. It's that, that simple, and uh, uh, one needs to take time out of the <laughs> out of the equation. <laughs> you know, if you're trying to get there soon, forget it. You know, <laughs> just be uh, relaxed and allow uh, the practice to unfold as it will. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to um, imagine myself having a situation come up where there's the craving and then how I could use this insight at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if you could like walk us through an example. Like, uh, well, why don't you give me an example? Like a craving, you say you have a craving come up? Um, yeah, craving food that's like mm-hmm. chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I've already eaten nutritious food, or maybe I've already allowed myself a little of that. Yeah. And it, it's clear that it's you know it's, an, it's something else. It's not physical. Yeah. Uh, me, and I'm just trying to think how could I be. It seems really helpful, but I'm, I'm having a little hard time trying to imagine in that moment. Yeah. Well, there's and there's more to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, with food, like, you know, things that we don't necessarily need a lot of. Like, you know, chocolate's great to have, but you don't need a lot of it, you know. <laughs> and you can, you can actually get sick from too much of it, you know. Um, and and uh, maybe just to introduce another aspect of the teachings that might be helpful with that one in particular, um, which is that just um, noticing that uh, in the moment when the thought arose, to go and get some chocolate, something like that. Um, that actually, it, it might be that you saw chocolate. It might be that you heard somebody talk about chocolate. It might be that you remembered, you had a thought, and you remembered when you had chocolate before. You know, so it's coming in through one of the sense doors: seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling. Right? It's coming in through one of those. If it's coming in through like the um, 
uh, like the thoughts, it's very interesting because it's actually just the thought of chocolate. And you like the thought. The chocolate isn't actually even here. You know, it's not like you, you want it and you're trying to get it. It's like you like the idea of it. You know, it's not actually even here in the moment. Right, right. And, and that comes from memory. And, and then, and, and so there's like a longing for some, some kind of emotional satisfaction. And then I remember the yeah. experience of how good chocolate Right, and right. And it feels like a close approximation. So yeah. I don't know how to do one, so I kind of go with the substitute. Yeah, well, we're all going to go out and get chocolate tonight now, you realize. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what's going to happen. No, but I mean, it's, it's, as a meditator, you're discerning all of that, how that's all happening. You know, so that's part of it. Part of it is just seeing how that the craving is actually craving um, for something that is a pleasant thought, a pleasant memory, you know, in in that moment. Wanting to recreate it. Yeah. So that right there is a very unpleasant state. So I mean, just contemplating that. The condition that that sets up, you know, having, yeah, you know, that, oh, it's, it's torment, you know. So, but the other thing that one can do is let's say it is there and you can actually have it. And so then um, you have it and you have too much of it or something like that, you know. It's like, uh, well, noticing, well, let's say just having it, not too much of it yet. So just noticing the experience of the pleasure, like in my ice cream meditation. And how um, the mind keeps slipping off the experience of pleasure and going to wanting something, wanting more. It's like, why? That's, that's far out. I'm, I'm actually enjoying this. And um, it slips off of that, and the hand will be reaching for the next piece while that piece is still in your mouth. You know? It's, it's, it, because it's, like a, it's actually not having enough samadhi. This is where the meditation can be very helpful. Be at ease. Stay with it. Stay with what's happening. Wow. And you'll actually have a lot less chocolate. You know, you'll eat a lot less of it. So, but then you can get into the experience where you do go ahead and get caught in the craving. And then you can notice, well, that's the mind getting in on the act. This is actually a physical event. Eating and, quote-unquote, being nourished, you know. (laughs) But um, the mind gets in on it because I like it. Right? And it keeps driving. The body is a slave to the mind. It will do what the mind tells it. So then you keep giving it more and more and more. But then if you remember to keep meditating, then and you're there for that experience, you'll know what an unpleasant experience that is. You know, to, to overeat whatever, whether it's chocolate or whatever. And the more that, you know, so the Buddhist teaching is saying, be there in the beginning, in the middle, in the end. Like, don't stop meditating. Tune in to all the different aspects of experience. The wanting it, the actual here it is and now you're having it, and now it's, it's gone and you've overdone it or not done enough. Keep, keep looking. And you learn, um, you learn the way the mind operates. Meditated, then I would be 
emotional longing mm-hmm. that has a, like a certain discomfort. Is that different? Is it different? That's your, that's your chocolate calling. <laughs> <laughs> What you're calling an emotional craving, is that different? I think it's all the same thing. Well, it feels like I can handle feeling physically hungry a lot better than that. I I had a death in the family. Oh, yeah. So a lot of it is uh, hard, like sadness and pain, Mm -hmm. longing for loving, Mm -hmm. feeling like lack of emptiness. Yeah. So it's some some hard stuff to do with. Yeah, yeah. That gets a little more complex, but you know it can be broken down in the same way. That's a that's a whole evening in itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. If the other end of craving is being created, and so if we had a piece of chocolate this big, we wouldn't eat it all. So what happens in the process of craving? Well, that's part of the delusion that gets set up, unfortunately, um, and why it is that we think the the problem, we believe the craving, we believe that the problem is not having the chocolate, because when you get it, then you feel satisfied. And really, there is, you know, Buddha never denied a certain a satisfaction, a happiness that comes with sense pleasure. You know, so there is that, but what that does then is mask the fact that a lot of your why you feel so good in that moment is because the craving stopped. You know, it's not necessarily because you got the chocolate. It's like, ah, you know that. Ah, you know, I used to be that way with cigarettes. You know, it's like, oh, I gotta, ah, you know, <laughs> just that moment of, oh, thank goodness, it's over. But it's not like the cigarette was so great. The feeling of yeah. Well, it's it's discerning. Um, you know, a lot of the um, the teaching is uh, the the meditation instruction is centered around this teaching called the um, foundations of mindfulness. Are you aware of that? Yeah. So he he basically is breaking out our experience into uh, different aspects. It's like, as it is, it's all a muddle. You know, it's like we don't even know, we can't discern the different aspects of moment-to-moment experience because um, it's all tangled up. But that if, you know, he actually gave this image, which is kind of a coarse image, but it's really good. It's like to, to he, he, he says, picture a butcher who's at a crossroads and he's standing there, he's set up his little stand and he's selling his meat, you know. And he's got a pile of uh, legs over here and a pile of rumps over here and a pile of, you know, livers over here. He's got basically, he's broken up the whole cow into all these different parts, you know. And, and, and you can, if you look at it that way, you don't see a cow anymore. All you see is a pile of this and a pile of that and a pile of that. And, and it's a very graphic image to get a sense of, if you look at your experience, what it comes down to is um, the physical, which includes seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, sensing, you know. 
um, sort of like a, a somewhat emotional level. He doesn't quite call it that. We call it feeling level, which is the experience of pleasure and pain. And then um, thinking, thought level, which includes all the whole range of everything the mind does. It thinks, it plans, it associates, it has memories, it you know creates, it, it fantasizes, it you know all that stuff. So if you can be it, what the, the the key to um, understanding is to begin to have an eye to discerning what's happening in every moment according to the different aspects of experience. So like we were breaking that out with the, the chocolate example, you know, you can begin to see that, well, I have a, I'm having a thought and I like the thought and I want to make it happen. It's a, and so I get lost in this whole thing about a plan, you know, and before you know it, I've been sitting on the cushion and the whole half hour I've been constructing my dream house, you know, because it's something that I thought of that I like. It was just a thought. It was a pleasant thought, and I, the mind just went running with it, you know. Similarly, you can, you know, be driving down the road and you pass a billboard for Pizza Hut, you know, and you, you, it doesn't even quite even register. And then later on that day, all you can think about is getting a pizza. You don't know why, but you just want a pizza, you know. And it's like we didn't catch it that there was a sight. It was a pleasant sight, and the mind grabbed hold of it as something to want and something to go for. So virtually, you know, I mean, the more you look at experience in this way, the the more you can dissect these moments that um, uh, get built into very dramatic suffering states, you know. And you can begin to get some sense of what's going on in all of that. And that, in that, is the dis, uh, dissembling of um, the suffering. And, uh, you know, it, can, it doesn't have the power that it had. You know, if you see the pile of livers and the pile of legs, you know, it, it, you don't, it doesn't hold together as a cow anymore, you know. Same way if, as you see your experience as feeling and thoughts and um, sensations. It doesn't hold together as a person anymore to whom it's all happening. And, you know, woe is me in my suffering state. You know, it gets, it gets, it, you get a very different view of it all. Yeah? Yeah, I hope that's helpful. I mean, there's obviously, um, you're, you're attracted to the right body of teachings. Just stay with it and <laughs> keep learning all you can. Uh, yeah. yeah. Why don't we sit a few minutes though before we go? Yeah. We have about three, three minutes, okay?
So thank you very much for your attention and your love of Dhamma. <laughs> May it uh, bear fruit. <laughs>